0: Associate Professor of Accounting at the University of Arizona Eller College of Management will be discussing her recent paper, Auditors Quantitative Materiality Judgments, Properties and Implications for Financial Reporting Reliability, which she co-authored with Kenneth Merkley at Indiana and Catherine Shipper at Duke. I'll include a link to the article in the show notes for today's episode. Preeti, welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. So
0: I think that probably some of our listeners maybe don't come from an accounting background. So I wondered if you could introduce, uh, as a matter of background, uh, the idea of the need for auditors to make materiality judgments, maybe briefly, what is materiality? I know that's kind of a big, big question. That's the million dollar question in a lot of ways. But what are materiality judgments? Why might those judgments matter for financial statement reliability?
1: Great. That's a good place to start. The concept of materiality in financial reporting is really the task of estimating what is a big or significant amount for a particular company at a given point in time. More specifically, it's based on the legal concept of determining what would be significant enough to change an investor's assessment of the company. So, like you said, there's a lot of art to this. This is not an exact science. We know that the amount that would impact investor judgments for a very large company like General Electric would be very different from the amount that would impact investor judgments for a much smaller company like Vera Bradley, for instance. Further, the context also can affect the notion of materiality. So, a company could have a situation where a small change in an estimate could change net income from a positive to a negative number. And we would expect that this kind of change, even if it's numerically small, it would impact an investor's assessment of company. So in the context of auditing, one of the first steps of doing an audit is to determine what is a material amount or important dollar amount for this company in this year. Auditors likely consider various aspects of size, maybe what investors are focused on, other factors, but in the end, they have to pick a dollar amount. And the purpose of the audit ultimately, of course, is to determine whether financial statements are stated in accordance with generally accepted accounting principles in all material respects. So the materiality amount set at the beginning of the audit guides how much audit evidence is gathered For example, which specific accounts should be looked at, which locations, if the company has multiple, should be investigated in the course of the audit. So if an auditor were to set materiality amounts very high for a particular company, then that would imply less work and less evidence was likely gathered. So on that basis, we had a prediction that this materiality amount could actually affect financial reporting reliability.
0: So... You mentioned that making this materiality judgment isn't an exact science. How do auditors usually go about making that judgment, or maybe how do we, we commonly imagine that they go about making that judgment? Is it a rule of thumb that they follow? Is it more quantitative or more qualitative? Or is it really just a matter of professional judgment gained after many audit engagements and years of experience?
1: Well, I think it's important to understand first in the context of your question that These judgments of materiality are made pervasively in many different points in time in preparing financial statements and in doing the audit. So what we focus on in our paper is really one aspect of the decision, which is what happens at the start of the audit. So that is really a quantitative assessment. But it is true that materiality judgments are made both by the auditor and by the preparer or the company in many places at many points in time. So the way that the auditor does this is that they don't actually tell the client what materiality is. It's sort of their, if you will, secret sauce of doing the audit. So given that they don't want to tell their client, it's really hard as a researcher to actually get access to what materiality judgments are being made. So the research that's been done predominantly in the literature has tried to infer these decisions. That's kind of where we come in and offer something really new is that we focus on the quantitative judgment. And this quantitative judgment is often characterized as a percentage that's applied to a base or a specific financial statement line item. And many people point to the rule of thumb mentioned in the SEC's guidance on materiality in SAB 99, which is 5% of income. So that's a common rule of thumb people, you know, discuss. And when we actually first started working on this project, many of the people at the PCAOB had a pervasive view. Everyone is just simply following the rule of thumb and doing 5% of income. So one of the first things we did when we got access to this data is to actually evaluate very directly whether that was true. We took the materiality judgments that auditors made and we scaled it by absolute pre-tax income to see how often is it actually just simply 5%. And it turns out in our sample, only about 22% of the time is the auditor selecting 5%. So you might say, well, that's a lot. And it is a lot. But given the pervasive view that people had ex ante, that everyone's just following the rule of thumb, it was actually surprising to a lot of people that, no, a lot of auditors are actually doing something different. And that these differences can't simply be explained by something like, oh, the clients have a loss, and so they're doing something, they're not using 5% of income. They're actually much more complicated than that. So what, what we find is that auditor judgment plays a significant role in not only the qualitative judgments, which we would expect, but also the quantitative judgments.
0: So you mentioned this 5% uh, rule of thumb and, and maybe some assumptions out there that that's commonly followed. The exciting thing about your paper that really made it stick out to me was that you were able to get uh, really granular data from the PCOB. What did that allow you to do? What research questions did that allow you to ask that maybe others in the literature haven't been able to ask? And how did you go about setting up that study?
1: So the data is the key. You definitely hit the nail on the head. Um, that was really the challenge of doing this research. So as I mentioned before, if the auditor is not telling their own client what materiality is, they're really not willing to share that with the researchers. So when the PCOB does their inspections, they of course ask for a variety of information to help them prepare for their on-site visit or the inspection. And one of the things that they ask for is materiality. And when the the previous chairman, Chairman Doty, was head of the PCAB, he had this vision that he would bring in academics to look at this proprietary data and help inform both practice and regulators about what's going on in the marketplace. And it was this vision that really uh, attracted me to to try it out. I was one of the first few fellows, or there were one or two before me, but I was in the early batch. And so we didn't really know what we were getting into, to be honest. And likewise, the PCOB didn't really have a way of facilitating our role. We were all kind of flying by the seat of our pants and figuring this out as we went along based on what are the requirements or restrictions. Set forth by Sarbanes Oxley about the data and about the information, but at the same time, still trying to see what we could reveal in our study that would be new and informative to both investors and regulators. So, we really set out to first, we were excited to get the data, and then we had three kind of primary objectives I think we achieved in our research project. First was very simply to provide descriptive evidence on how auditors set quantitative materiality judgments at the start of the audit. And this was accomplished by doing the analysis I mentioned earlier about seeing how often it's 5% and also by summarizing the brief notes that auditors provided in their documentation to the PCOB about how they calculated materiality, which is commonly a percentage applied to a base. So what percentage did they use and which base did they use? Did they use revenue? Did they use assets or income, et cetera? So the first part is really just to summarize what's going on in the marketplace. That actually, is, in and of itself, was quite informative, not, I think, only to investors, but surprisingly, it was very informative to the audit firm because they had been holding this information captive and they couldn't share it with researchers. They also couldn't share it with each other. I got actually calls from some audit partners at many of the large firms once this paper uh, was publicly available saying that they had tried to commission studies on this topic, but they couldn't find a way to share the information. So definitely the PCOB's ability to share the data seemed to have solved a little bit of a market problem there, which often regulators can do if they use their data effectively. So a second thing that we were trying to accomplish in our paper was to develop a way to evaluate material. judgment. You know, is the judgment that the auditor made on the more conservative or on the more loose end of the spectrum of possible choices? And this is where we developed a scale or the notion of materiality looseness, which I think we're going to delve into later. And I think the last aspect of the paper that we wanted to accomplish was to kind of show the importance of this decision by how it impacts not only fees and hours, which we would expect, since materiality affects the amount of audit evidence gathered, but beyond that, You know, to really hone in on financial reporting reliability, which is ultimately sort of a big picture goal of both regulators and investors and auditors is to have very reliable financial statements. So we wanted to kind of be able to see if we could take it all the way there. We weren't sure if we were going to get there, but it turns out I think we did.
0: So great. So it's uh, an exciting uh, story about, uh, as you say, perhaps regulatory agencies can overcome some market problems with data being siloed between firms. And I really want to get into some of your key findings. And you you mentioned one interesting concept or area that you studied, uh, this concept of materiality, looseness, uh, as you mentioned. Could you discuss what that is? uh, How do you measure it and how do you construct it? And why does it matter as a measure?
1: Absolutely. I think this is the most creative part of the paper. And actually, the idea came from a discussion I had at lunch with a regulator from South Africa. It was one of my first few months at the PCOB, and they invited me to attend this conference. Uh, And I was just mingling, you know, with the folks, the regulators from international locations. And she was telling me that what she really wanted to know was how often the auditor was selecting a number on the larger end of relative choices. And I thought, oh, that's, that's an interesting way to think about the problem. And actually, that conversation is what prompted us to develop this looseness scale. So what we did is we tried to forecast what are the possible materiality judgments that an auditor could have made for each given client. This is sort of like benchmarking. And the benchmarks were established by looking at common approaches that auditors were taking. So you could see this in a few ways. You can see this in the descriptions of what people said they did you know, uh, the percentages and the bases they use. And you could see this also by looking at the guidance that the audit firms provide their staff. And it turns out, not surprisingly, that these two ways almost entirely overlap. So that gave us good confidence that we could actually forecast what the possible choices are. So for instance, even if an auditor may have decided to use 5% of income for a given client, we would be able to say, well, they could have chosen maybe half a percentage of revenue or a half a percentage of asset. And here's a variety of low and high percentage of values that could have been applied to each base. So we get a range of estimate that is possible for each client. And then we tried to see where did the judgment that the auditor made fall within that spectrum of Possible choices. So it turns out that over 40% of the time, the choices fall in the most conservative two partitions. So we took that entire range, we divided it into 10 partitions, and we said 40% of the time we found that they fall into the lowest two partitions. And even though it's infrequent, 3% of the time it was falling in the largest three partitions or the loosest material judgment. So what we did was try to use this scale to help us think about, why would it make sense to be in the lower end or in the higher end? And when we did some additional analysis, we found, you know, auditors are doing things by evaluating the context of the client. So specifically, if the client has better performance measured in a variety of ways, then their auditor is going to be tend to choose a less conservative or looser materiality value. But if the client is near break-even or it has small profit, maybe the client has higher fraud risk or litigation risk or even bad internal controls, then the auditor is actually going to choose a more conservative materiality value. So the scale really helped us see how the judgment kind of plays a factor into setting the quantitative value in a systematic way. And it also allowed us to kind of validate our measure to show that when we have stricter judgments... We would expect more evidence to be gathered, and we find accordingly that hours and fees are higher, as we would expect.
0: So I'd like to discuss some of those relationships that you found, uh, and maybe we can take maybe three of the big ones kind of one by one, but what relationship did you find between materiality looseness and say the quality of a financial reporting system at a client or the quality of the audit or the, the quality or reliability of the resulting financial statements slash kind of the maybe the risk of issuing a restatement under item 402?
1: So I think ex ante, if we take a step back, it's not entirely clear materiality will impact financial statement reliability, and this is because the standards require the auditor to set materiality, keeping in mind what's the likelihood of unreliable financial statements for this particular client. In other words, they're supposed to forecast out, you know, what's the risk that this client has of misstating and so forth, and that should be part of the reason or part of the judgment process that impacts the auditor's decision. So, in other words, if the auditor is doing this perfectly accurately and correctly, one would argue, theoretically, there should be no relationship between the materiality and financial reporting reliability. But, in fact, of course, as you noted, we did find one, which suggests to me that the auditor isn't actually setting materiality optimally. So what we find is that when the auditor chooses a looser materiality value, they actually find less misstatements in the financial statement. And one plausible explanation for this finding is simply that auditors are choosing looser materiality values when the client has less financial statement risk or better integrity, and so there's less to find, right? So it's not clear that that finding alone is something to be concerned about. So what we did is we tried to cast doubt on this interpretation by comparing the identified misstatements to the ones that were unidentified. Where unidentified means later we find out that net income was misstated by a certain amount in a either big or little r restatement. So once you kind of say, well, what did the auditor identify As a numerator versus the denominator, what are all the possible things they should have found? Then you can have a little bit better uh, interpretation that actually when there's a looser value, they were finding less of what there was to find. So that allowed us to kind of continue down this reliability path and even look at the propensity of restatement. And so in our last result, we document an economically important relationship between looser materiality judgments and financial statement reliability through these item 4.02 restatements. So what we find is that clients have a six percentage point higher likelihood of restating than item 4.02 when the auditor sets materiality in the loosest two partitions. That's a pretty significant impact, in our view, on financial statement reliability.
0: And maybe what's the connection there between the financial statement reliability and the quality of the audit? You found some relationship between looseness and just the mechanics of, of the audit itself?
1: Yeah, so audit quality is really comprised of it, I mean, if you think about the the definition theoretically of audit quality, it should just be based on the auditor's work, right? But financial reporting quality is a function of the client's sort of underlying system, like how good are they without the auditor, and then you layer in the auditor's work. So, so it's a combination of the two. If you want to think about the impact to audit quality by itself, I think that the first part of our findings, which is that the auditor found less of what there was to find, I think that's more a measure of audit quality. Whereas having reliable financial statements also requires an investment on the client's part, not just the auditor's part. So it's, it's a little bit more nuanced, if that makes sense. Sure.
0: I think that's a helpful, uh, helpful distinction there. What other key findings, apart from some of the discussion of the materiality, looseness measure, did you and your co-authors find?
1: I think generally that the big picture was that we dispelled the notion that everybody's doing 5% of income, which I think was one of the reasons why the PCOB early on when they considered, you know, what did they want to change in that auditor's opinion? They made, a you know, big changes in the last few years. One of the things they had considered was the materiality, should it be disclosed, which is something that, that is disclosed in the UK, by the way. So I think one of the reasons... There were a variety of reasons there was pushback on that idea, but one of the reasons was because some people thought, "Well, everyone's just doing five percent." So actually, just the simple descriptive that that is not what's happening. Everybody is not simply doing five percent. I think that alone was eye opening to many people that that there was so much variation, and then of course being able to sort out you know why that variation exists a little bit. And to kind of show how that first judgment in the audit kind of finagles its way through all of these important aspects to end up at reliable financial statements, I think that was really important for regulators to see how this is going to impact the the whole story and the big picture of what they're interested in.
0: What are some of the open questions that you and your co-authors see from this work?
1: That's a great question. I think that, um, I hope that the paper kind of opens people's eyes into how important this judgment is. And I think there's a lot more to be done about understanding materiality. Like I said, I just focused on one aspect of the decision, which was how the auditor thinks about it at the start of the audit. But these decisions are pervasive throughout the financial statement. For example, even if we just want to think about auditing, Uh, when an auditor uses other auditors to conduct parts of the audit, they also have to relay what is the materiality those other auditors should be using in doing their separate work. And that, we call that component materiality. So we don't actually know much of anything about that and how that impacts the audit. So that's that's an example of, we started with this big picture notion of where the auditor starts, but then how does that feed through the process in a more detailed manner? There's still a lot more to learn there. And I think another big question in my mind is, so we've learned a little bit about how the auditor sets materiality. How well does that actually correspond with what investors think is important? Because remember, the actual definition or the legal definition is based on an amount That changes an investor's decision. So we really need a lot more research to understand how investors think about materiality. What's material to them so that we can inform auditors accordingly and they can make better assessments. I think the overall challenge or one big challenge is accessing data that can really answer these questions. That's been a significant challenge of working in this area.
0: Well, it sounds like some of the, the data are, are presenting themselves. And so hopefully that will continue uh, in the future to answer some of these open questions. Our guest today has been Preeti Chowdhury, Associate Professor of Accounting at the University of Arizona, Eller College of Management. We discussed her recent paper, Auditor's Quantitative Materiality Judgments Properties and Implications for Financial Reporting Reliability, which she wrote with co authors Kenneth Merkley at Indiana and Catherine Shipper at Duke. I'll include a link to the article in the show notes for today's episode. Preeti, thank you for joining the Business Scholarship Podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Scholarship Podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast or leaving a rating on your favorite podcast app, or let other people know about it too. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please let me know. My email address is andrew at and I look forward to hearing from you. Until the next time, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings.